Thank you for joining us on Walking Between Worlds, a podcast produced by Culturebound. Our goal is to create conversation about elements of culture and to listen to the perspectives of others. Culturebound does not endorse a specific opinion expressed on this show, but values the discussions that take place. To learn more about Culturebound, visit culturebound.org or follow at culturebound.org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Walking Between Worlds. We're so glad you're here today. Today we're going to be wrapping up our monthly series on culture in the church. If you've been following along, we've been going through some of the history of the Christian church um, in general and with a very large perspective. We've been talking about some of the really big changes and events that have taken place that have um, shifted the way that we've done church um, from a very, very broad scope. So we're going to be continuing that conversation today and wrapping up uh, with some summary, and we're excited to have you on to listen. My name is Kylie Trout. I am your creative director at Walking Between Worlds, and I'm in the studio today with Terry Steele. Hey, what's up? And Jacob Huey, our producer. Hello there. And yeah, let's just jump right in. How about that? That works. So last week we talked about, or I should say a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, a few pretty large events. We talked about the Council of Jerusalem, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, was a group that met uh, during the very, very early church. Yeah, we actually have that in the Book of Acts. Yes. And so during that, that council, what was one of the bigger things that, that went on? Mostly they were talking about the issue of making Gentiles be circumcised and if Gentiles could be part of the church. Mm-hmm. And it was um, kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we bring the new people into the church? So what are the yeah, requirements Yeah, like what do now? we do with the Old right. Testament, with the Torah and all of this? Yeah, yeah. It, the, the main highlight was circumcision because there's a lot of yep. that going around. That was the main topic. But the more underneath topic was... How much did the law of Moses or Torah, uh, because it gets iffy between Torah and all the extra stuff that was added by the uh, Pharisaical sect. The Sanhedrin Mm -hmm. in large part. Yeah, Sanhedrin, Pharisaical, um, on how much that played into salvation. Yep. And so that's largely what that council met about. Right. And like if you were a newly converted Christian or Christ follower, Mm -hmm. what were you supposed to adhere to from Mm -hmm. like Jewish tradition? Yeah. And some of the, I feel like maybe that's kind of a thread that I'm seeing through a lot of these big shifts is like, how do we, how do we reconcile that difference mm-hmm. um, or differences in largely practice types of things um, and tradition? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we also talked about the Great Schism. Would you give us a refresher on what went down during that period? Yeah. So the Great Schism was... Basically, you had, at that point, two primary practices of Christianity. You had Eastern Orthodoxy mm-hmm. and the Catholic Church. That was right. more Western. They, Is that the point where they kind of emerged or, like, the point where they kind of split paths? Or was I that... think it was more so kind of split paths where, yeah. um, like, there was the view of from the Catholic Church that as Eastern Orthodoxy was doing these different practices, they were actually manipulating scripture to be blasphemy or heretical. Right. And vice versa to the point that they couldn't settle differences and therefore there was a, there was a split. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of the major movements have then resulted in 
those kinds of splits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and calling out, you know, this is too, this is so heretical that we can't, we can no longer meet as one congregation, or we can no longer meet um, as the same belief system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they really they would not call each other Christians. They'd right. say you're not a Christian anymore. Yeah. Uh, because you would miss these major markers of doctrine. Right. And um, that's where you, you kind of had these really hard lines of demarcation between us and them. Um, yeah. And, and they, they thought certain things were very important. Mm-hmm. And um, we've seen those things happen throughout history at a few points mm-hmm. um, where we, we get to the place where it's almost uh, some of the divisions are almost superfluous and you say okay i can understand the east-west split or even like some of the other splits but some of these you go really you're fighting over that right um we became more and more concerned about the minutiae um probably because we didn't have a heresy who were trying to put down and so they turned on each other mm-hmm. and i i mean that's a normal unfortunately it's a it's a tragic but normal human response. Agreed. So mm-hmm. that's where you would say, do you mean they weren't Christian at that point? I would say there might have been some influence in the world that might have caused some issues there. Certainly yeah. with the Reformation, we see some of that. Right. And that's a big thread that I'm kind of trying to tie through all of these episodes is like, how much is the church meant to bend with culture? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll be talking, we'll be touching on that some more, but I do want to get into the Reformation because, um, so I want to know some more about the Reformation. I know we started touching on it a bit last time, but we really didn't flesh it out a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about that event or that period of time? Mm-hmm. I, I would say outside of the East-West split, the Great Schism, I would say that Reformation was the second biggest uh, uh, schism right. within the church and that's historically. Where the Catholic Church and the um, the Protestant movement kind of starts. Well, yeah, and and I, I know or a lot of people, notable. a lot of evangelicals mm-hmm. and Protestants say, well, you know, that's the Catholic Church, and I, I keep on saying, wait, 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 you can't ignore the history of the Catholic Church to a certain point because that's the church history. It's mm-hmm. just flat out, yeah, mm-hmm. um, especially in the West. Yeah, there was a point where they existed and we did not. Right. So you don't. You don't brush off certain things with the Catholic Church because, well, it wasn't Protestant. It's like, yeah, but there was no Protestant. In fact, the ironic thing is that Luther, who was really the start, Martin Luther was the beginning of that that great split between the two, was never intending to split the church. When he nailed his 95 thesis to the Wittenberg door, um, he was essentially saying, I want to have a debate. When you, when you put up your theses mm-hmm. on that door, it was an open debate that you wanted. And he was saying, I don't get this. Help me think this through because as I have been studying scripture, we now are falling down on certain things. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that was not amenable to the leadership, and that's when in uh, 1521 uh, he got kicked out by the Pope. Um, and Luther said, well, I'm not going to stop being a Christian. So he stopped being a monk. His wife stopped being a nun. They got married, and he's like, mm-hmm. hey, great, wonderful. And people followed him. But you also had, like, uh, Calvin and Zwingli and a bunch of those guys who had come before, some of the people who were, uh, along with him, uh, real, real strong theologians who were literally saying, we want to know the truth. In many ways, it became a civil disagreement because after a while, like Martin Luther was, was hounded not by the church, but by the government that the church ran. Mm-hmm. And so then people who would house him and keep him safe 
became the opposition. So you begin to see all parts of Germany at the beginning starting to split up into camps, and it became very civil or uncivil in that sense, rather than primarily theological, although yeah. it started that way. So not only is it a religious fault going on, there's a there's also that fault line with government and like political right. because it or politics because it was so integral to I mean you what you look at the, some of the stuff that happened like in um with England like with the Huguenots, which are part of the radical reformers. Mm-hmm. And um and we don't know much about the Huguenots, but they were almost clannish in nature. And you would have literally at one point you had a Protestant queen, another point you would have a uh, or king, and then the next point you would have a Catholic queen, and it's just you just kinda go, uh so we're accepted now, but if she dies, we have to leave tomorrow, and it ends up being all sorts of problems. Right. I mean, you think about Mary, Queen of Scots, very Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, she was known for being very vigilant for Catholicism and martial. So there were a lot of people who died under the hand of Mary, Queen of Scots, um, which is, you know, difficult. So you say the Protestants were better. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right. Um, what was really interesting is... You know, as you had the split over, I I would actually say a lot of the Catholics' problems at that point, the church in general, was that it had become so political in nature and economic in nature. It became about wielding power. It became about wielding power and money. Yeah. So that, you know. Both things that the church should not do. Originality, like, shouldn't have. No. So when you have something like indulgences, which is you could go to the church ahead of time and say, I'm going to commit this sin. I'm going to go sleep with my mistress, and my Mm -hmm. wife doesn't know. Um, I need God's permission to go do that, or his forgiveness ahead of time. And I would say, kind of violates the whole principle of forgiveness. Right. And it became very political. Like the Bible deliberately speaks against Oh, that. my. Yeah, yeah. And you had things like selling uh, um, church positions uh, right. for so all, all money. Buyout. Yeah, well, yeah. it becomes the most powerful people. The richest people actually get power within the church. And you say, well, then they were celibate, right? As much as the Bible does not condone priests being celibate. In fact, the Old Testament is like, no, no, have, have wives. That's good. That's fine. Fantastic. But the 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 church had come up with an idea of celibacy for the clergy mm-hmm. and that they said but they didn't do i mean when you actually have popes where you say here's the right. pope so and you his mistress new, you make up new rules and then you break the rules that you make because you're able to pay your because way you out can. of it yeah right, right. so, so it became like that very level messed of corruption. up right yeah. so you usually would have that in politics most of the time but yeah. now the church becomes the head of politics so all that stuff comes in and yeah. I would say at that point, that's not a doctrinal issue. That's a sin issue. So right. some of our, our, our splits are over sin issues. And I'm not saying that the Protestants were perfect because when you look at, say, the radical reformers, the Anabaptists, mm-hmm. Anabaptists meaning to baptize again, they didn't believe in baby baptism, but the reformers did. I mean, Luther didn't mm-hmm. want to go to adult baptism. Calvin didn't want to. But the Anabaptists, the radical reformers, did. And the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church both persecuted the Anabaptists. And you say, why are Anabaptists important? Because all Baptist traditions come from that tradition, not the Protestant tradition. It's a whole side split. Right. And they end up right now being stronger than most Protestant churches, which end up in a lot of ways being a lot of our mainline churches. 
you know. Um, Baptist churches in general. or Right, yeah. right. But like with your Protestants, you end up having like Methodist and uh, yes. Lutheran, Lutheran and stuff like that, which high respect, yeah. high respect. But there's obviously some things that have changed in that yeah. circumstances. Yeah, totally. A lot of community churches actually would be closer to our, our Anabaptist or Baptist groups than to, say, our Methodist or Lutheran. It's, it's mm-hmm. again, more and more decentralized mm-hmm. uh, the more you go. And, and the reason I say the, pro- the Protestants were no less guilty of pulling off some dunstunts than the Catholics is because you hunted Anabaptists. If they wanted to be baptized so much, then let's baptize them until they drown to death. They would literally baptize them for death, to death. Like the dunking chairs was made for the Anabaptists, and they would dunk them until they drowned to death. Whoa. And you mm. even have, like, burning at the stake for heretics. They burned Anabaptists at the stakes, mm. you know? So you just go, uh, that's not good. So, again, that's, that's where there was so much chaos. And if you yeah. look at the, the 200 years prior to that, the church was in so much chaos because at one point they had two popes and they had three popes and they all excommunicated themselves. And it was just, it was such a mess. By the time you get to the 1500s, um, there's a lot of, of um, squeak in the wheels of the, of the church because it had been, so much pressure had been put on it that right. it was beginning to fall apart. So in many ways, Luther fell out of the church because of all the weakness within the church. And if they had been, if it had been 300 years earlier, there wouldn't have been a chance of him surviving. But because people began to say the church does not have all the power. Yeah, there's a way to do church without the, the, the government corruption that we're seeing. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And I wouldn't say it's all government cor- corruption. A lot of it was human corruption yes. as yeah, well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So again, that's where I would say it differs from the split between East and West because it wasn't primarily just doctrinal, but mm-hmm. had a lot of things that went with it. Right, mm. and we still see that, like, the remnants of that split today. Oh, why, yes. Like, we're absolutely, the whole patchwork of Christianity across our nation and other nations, like, is affected by that. And, yeah. like, there's there's still not a ton of reconciliation between, um, like, I have one Catholic friend. Yep. And she's the only, she's, like, the only Catholic I've ever had a, had a conversation with about their faith. And so, and, you know, just growing up in a, a non-Catholic faith environment. Yep. You're just not exposed to it. And so you other, and then and then right. you just get into a whole mess. Well, so. and it's, you know, because a lot of people see the Catholic Church as kind of be like the man, the power, and so oh, you have to yeah. oppose it. So yeah. I worked for many years at a uh, an Adventist organization, mm-hmm. I won't say which, and the conversations I had with those really well-meaning Jesus lovers, um, they would never speak kindly to a Catholic. It was, it was no, absolutely not. They are the devil themselves. Yeah. And then I work at a Christian university part-time, and the number of Catholics there are small because they get... They, they get re- crap. They get crap a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, I literally was talking to one of them a few years ago, and I said, really seriously, I treat you that way. And they said, we know who's Catholic on campus, and we stay together because we know that we're going to get a lot of crap thrown at us. And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. You know, and it's a it's primarily a Quaker school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Quakers hate Catholics? And they're like, oh, yeah, they're scum. I'm like, really? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, th- that's where you just, you, you kind of go, um, okay. Well, yeah. Even to continue building off of that point, I know many of my peer, I know many peers who at my own school, 
debate the question regularly on whether Catholics, if you're of the Catholic faith, whether or not you're actually still saved by Jesus. Are you serious? Yeah, like there's, there's. Oh yeah, and I'm sure there are a, people like all over that spectrum with any number of yeah. ways of being a Christian, and that's, I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about throughout, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's the divisions that strike me as odd. Common line that gets drawn is the idea of what makes Mormonism not Christianity. <laughs> to go there for like. Yeah. For a second. Or a, yeah. for a second. Yeah. You know. Like it's it's like, okay, so what's the difference in theology that we say Catholicism's okay and Mormonism is not? Um there are a few theological points. There is, yes. Uh, but what I'm saying is like that's that's the idea is that like if yeah. you don't follow and it's led to so many of these splits, the Great Schism and so on, is like if you don't follow this strict doctrine, then your entire salvation is in question. Right. It's it's if you cross this line, yeah, they're they're Honestly, yeah. in seminary, there are jokes about, you know, finding out someone's of the same faith of you and the same denomination as you and the same history of you. Mm-hmm. But that if you're a part of this conference of, you know, 1941 and I'm of 1942, then, you know, eat hot death and die because you disagree with, you know, the use of a, a definite article in this passage. And you just go, really, we're going to fight about that? Yeah. And we've seen some pretty serious splits as a result. Yeah. By the way, that's not unique yeah. to Christianity. If you oh, want to no, talk about course. a place of splits, talk about Latter-day Saints, yeah. Mormons, talk yeah. about Muslims. One oh, of the uh, most yeah. complicated yeah. religions I've ever studied because the moment Muhammad died, they began to fight with each other. And when they fought, they fought hard. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's, there are sects of, sects of Islam where if you land in certain countries, the moment you set foot on ground, you're arrested and executed. There's a bit more of an extreme response. Right, right. But to, again, you know, can, can Jesus, Jesus even find a Mormon in the Mormon church, a Christian in the Mormon church, sir? Can yeah. you become a Christian by being a, a, a Muslim? I've seen it happen, yes. but it usually yeah. happens through very extreme means like dreams. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, extreme to us. Extreme to us, but very, I wouldn't say commonplace to Jesus, but I would say it's special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the splits take place, and it's not unique to Christianity, but we kind of have a, a lot of eyes on us, the church does, so when we do it, yeah. everyone makes a big deal out of it. Yeah, and I think sometimes it is, I mean, it is a big deal because it, it separates people. Absolutely. We kind of got scattered with all our divisions, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. these, it, it kind of just brings up to the present day, which is where we wanted to go, um, of just how so many splits have happened under the understanding of doctrine, they rely on Isis Jesus primarily. Yeah, I would and, agree. Right. I mean, the book of Revelation is very clear about what happens to those who alter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you also have Galatians and Paul's very, probably one of his harshest books um, in all where he, you know, he says, yeah, if anyone preaches a different gospel, well, I hate to, hate to disillusion our Latter-day Saints friends, but it is a different gospel that they're teaching it is not consistent you are calling upon the name of the father and the son but you worship a different father and son it is not the jesus that the evangelical and and christians worship again no disrespect but uh, it's not the same god no and if you ever want to have a conversation on that we would be more than willing to have a discussion we don't want to put you down but there Mm -hmm. is an understanding of the reality of who jesus is Mm And so to switch gears a bit, like, you know, I remember one of the critiques that I've heard a lot 
in these days about Christianity, it's just, well, you got so many freaking denominations. <laughs> right, right. Um, How can you possibly yeah. all follow the same thing? Yeah, <laughs> which I, I laugh at and say everyone has denominations. I mean, do you know that there's literally, I went to school with a guy who was mm-hmm. a Christian or a Catholic charismatic. <laughs> the look on your face right now is like, what, <laughs> what? huh? And um, it literally is, it's charis, uh, uh, charismatic. A charismatic practice with of Catholic a, tradition. Right, right. Yeah. It takes a lot of the ritual of the Catholic and actually yes. moves it into the charismatic realm. And some people within the Catholic Church says they're heretics. And I would say, I, I, you know, I, well, okay. We as Baptists did the same thing not too long ago with the charismatic denomination. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah. So, or how much we make fun of our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. <laughs> I love those Presbyterians. <laughs> I love them. Right. But we often divide. Look, if we're talking about divisions. If you want to talk about the most ridiculous one, I've heard of a church split where they argued over the carpet color of the church and it split the church in half. Yeah, that's silly. Another one, and this is the <laughs> most ridiculous in of the bunch. <laughs> and it, to... it makes you kind of go, wait, what, huh? They split over whether Adam had a belly button or not. Oh, yeah, I have heard and that. And I'm just like, what, huh? Who cares? Right, and apparently it was a big <laughs> theological issue, but you see, I can guarantee that happened sometime in the 80s or, or uh, 70s yeah. because that's oh, when yeah. they were... When those uh, little the, bits and pieces Well, were the really... line was, if you're not fighting, you're not trying. Mm-hmm. And it, it was so funny because we were so amped up on protecting the church from heresy that we, di- we suddenly created a new branch of heresy, which was things that aren't in the Bible, but should. And I mean, I, I'm joking there, but not yeah. by much. Yeah. So, I mean, that is like, I, I understand an element of that frustration in that kind of fight. Like, it's hard to look at Genesis or to look at different books that are, you know, these big uh, mythological type stories yes. that are just like, oh, I wish I just had more information about how that worked or what evidence we should be looking for that that happened. And like, mm. you want to know, you want to explore like how, what are the um, the little facets of this that we yep. aren't privy to because well, we're so also, far ahead in time. It's a, it's a matter of asking the wrong question. Right. Um, right. Like we're asking questions of the text that it was never meant. It to. was never designed to answer or wasn't even trying to get yeah. you to ask. Yeah. Like, we treat them like they're supposed to be these exacting historical documents. Yeah. When that's where they they're not look yeah. at different theological camps mm-hmm. in order to find the answer. So they went from that to trying to find the key to everything. So that's yeah. where you had covenant theology when you had denominate or um, um, dispensational in, in sem- yeah, uh, seminary yeah. and Bible college for me dispensationally was was huge mm-hmm. are you Arminius are you Calvinist are you mm-hmm. this are you that you're the other thing and we begin to divide everyone up into their little young, communities to go off yeah. of Genesis young earth or old earth a- again that's yeah. another one yeah so, so right. say on that example or the, like we, yeah. we ask the question of what the Hebrew word yom means of what it's a 24 hour period or, or whether it's an age or yeah. and it's like if yeah. we're getting this nitpicky about the word day yeah. and what it says about the creation of the universe are we reading the Genesis count correctly are we asking are we giving the it the authenticity that it has yeah are we yeah. asking the question that the text yeah. wants us to ask yeah. and i i am of the belief that that is nowhere near what the test is trying to get us to right. ask and get from it yeah and i get it though because it's like and especially in the face of like all of science saying mm-hmm. you know it's you know the earth has been around so much longer than we thought or mm-hmm. we have this this archaeological evidence that this didn't happen the way that it was written about in the bible yep. and it's like 
we try to go to the Bible to find those answers. And when you, know you know look I mean? at the to people, defend it, yeah. Yeah. when you look at the people who were and still are very powerful in this, mm-hmm. these are the people who have money and the influence, and they can build their Noah's Ark's uh, oh, exhibit, yeah. and I saw that. which I think some of those things are fantastic or create television <laughs> channels or whatever. You have to talk Jacob's about his eyes. Christian <laughs> fundamentalism. Yeah, yeah. And and this is in the in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth, and mm-hmm. in large part, it was if you believe in the fundamentals, which are sin, salvation, virgin birth, um, uh, salvation, uh, transformation, heaven with God. I mean, it was a handful of those things, yeah. the basics, where yeah. you say these are necessary for the gospel. And they started out by saying, we believe in the fundamentals of the faith. And it wasn't that they were fighting fundies, like the, the term comes up. Mm-hmm. It, that happened actually, the way it's explained to me is they knew that these things were the fundamentals of Scripture, and they agreed. And so they became known as being followers of the fundamentals of Scripture. Mm-hmm. The next generation came along and said, well, I know that these are the fundamentals, and I believe the fundamentals, therefore I'm a Christian. And then you went a few generations down the line where they said, I can say, uh-huh, at the right doctrinal point, sign my name on the line, and they say, welcome to the kingdom, brother. And that's right. the way you, you lose the influence of people who knew the presence of God, mm-hmm. who experienced the presence of God, to people who knew about it theologically, to people who knew where to sign on the dotted line, and it yeah, became the heart ra- behind, you know, let's abandon all this extra stuff and focus on the basics Right. Got lost generationally because it was no longer. Yeah. I mean, and that time period was a very interesting time because there's three primary thoughts that were coming together at that time. Yeah. It was the rise of fundamentalism. Yep. Uh, which fought to remove the historical critical approach entirely in order to preserve um, scripture's authority. Okay. Um, you had the romanticism thought coming in at this time. Very, um, very late classic early modern so from there you had the moving away as well from a critical analytical thinking approach towards a more emotive subjective interpretation of scripture yep Uh it's in that reader response and that type of stuff yeah it's in that camp that you get the first attempt at biblical theology Um, really yeah wow yeah it's from that camp that you primarily get this the first attempt at biblical theology. Biblical theology today is not the same biblical theology of what I'm talking about. No, it's gone through then. a number of shifts. Well, it died and the whole study died off entirely. Yeah. Wow. The whole study died in order to be reconstructed. Okay. As, All right. as a child puts it. Okay. Um, and then you had the modernist point of view that preserved the historical critical what they saw as the objective study of scripture through the critical historical critical methodology. And that's where James Barr lies. Mm. Um, but that's large part what was happening during that time period. And this was back in um, around the seventies, I would think. Right. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of that happen. There were elements of that happened even before the, even before the eighties. And, and I, I remember mm-hmm. the sixties and seventies had a number of those things. Yeah. But that that really became the big thing. I remember when mm-hmm. um, we had a professor at my undergraduate Bible college who was teaching a class on biblical theology, and it was a huge deal. Uh, and I did take that class, and I thought it was good, but I thought that it was... Um, I still thought it had a few steps to develop where it could be something that would be reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, 
you know, I'm so I'm not even sure what the study is right now because while I when I read through scripture, I do like using some of the elements, but not on their own. It has to be in combination with other things. Well, yeah, I mean, biblical theology today is such a broad character category now that has a bunch of different thoughts in it, and it's all based off of her, like your hermeneutical approach, the way you approach reading the bible okay how much mm-hmm. do you rely on history how much do you mm-hmm. rely on just the bible what oh. canon do you even choose when you, you interpret scripture wow yeah okay oh yeah there's there's a lot of debate happening right now there's no good one yet um but there's a lot of debate happening right now on and conversation ha- circling at least from my studies that i've been a part of recently of what to do with the american well, not american but the english Bible ordering right. of the Old Testament as opposed to the Hebrew Bible Tanakh order. Yeah. Because um, they're that, two different orderings. And then orderings. like the, the things that we consider extra biblical that mm-hmm. maybe were a part, are, are a part of other people's Bibles. Yeah. Yeah. The apocryphal literature, which can be very helpful at times. And other times we say, mm, yeah, that's that right. not really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ends up being a little like a, a fancy history book in many yeah. ways, like that some of Tacitus yeah. or Josephus stuff. Mm-hmm. And the pseudepigraphos. Right. Well, tell me, tell me more about what, like, what is it that's giving fundamentalists a bad, a bad taste in my mouth? Well, mm. what you need to know is that through their formation, they, they very much kept people at arm's length. It was trying to do it right. Again, it was a little like one of those theological camps, but it was really what happened in 1925 in um, Tennessee that they got known for, and this is where their reputation kind of took a major spill, and that was the Scopes Monkey Trial. So you had um, uh, a guy who came in, John Scopes, who came in to Tennessee and started teaching evolution, which is okay, a new idea yes, at that point. Yes. And the, yeah, this is kind of what I was talking about, about right. you know, trying to consult the Bible for scientific right, things that aren't. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he had... You know, it was various and sundry different ways of doing that. Well, the town went crazy and put him on trial for essentially heresy. Mm-hmm. And um, through the whole, the, the, it wasn't the trial that caused the big issue. The big issue was is it was the first test of evolution in the public uh, sphere in large part. So the media from all over America came to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And what they saw is that's when they started using the word hick and hayseed, and they really put down oh, this community okay. as being a community of dummies. And these yeah. are, you know, New York yeah. newspapers are saying how uncivilized and all that stuff. And so you were putting out regular articles for the entire month that really put down the people of like Tennessee. Farm communities in general. Right, yeah. right. And so they basically lumped the entire South together as a bunch of backyard yokels. Right. And that's where they began to use such terrible language. The end of the trial was very interesting because. He was convicted of teaching heresy, and there was a levy. I, I, there was punishment against him until he asked for an appeal, went to the next level up, and very quickly the judge threw the case out and said, "Nope, nope, he's not doing anything wrong." The ironic thing is, some of the people who were responsible for prosecution died about a month later of heart issue and stuff like that. So it was complete dismantling of the fundamentalist South mm. and that as a result for about it was 25 and that would have been 70 that would have been for about uh, 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 45 years fundamentalism was unseen in public they literally buried themselves in the sand 
until Jerry Falwell came around. And you say, what was Jerry Falwell? Jerry Falwell was a, uh, a, a young fundamentalist, and he convinced the old fundamentalists that were still alive from the Scopes trial to come out and to join with the new fundamentalists and make themselves public. And so this is where you have it in night. And I remember the beginning of it in 1979. I remember that presidential campaign. That was Carter running against, or Reagan running against Carter, and Reagan identified as a Christian, as did Jimmy Carter. Hmm. But it was Reagan who got the promotion from so many evangelical churches mm-hmm. and fundamentalist churches. And that's when you begin to see fundamentalists on TV. Yes. And that's they, what I think when I think fundamentalists. Right. Is, and that's the group yeah. called the Moral Majority. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. when they began to push churches and Christians into politics. So they got people elected Isn't and they got. Not the fundamentals anymore? They believed <laughs> in the fundamentals, but they added in politics to that. So uh-huh. what it came down to is they began to vote on a bunch of different things. And they did they had great success for about 10, 15 years, but then they began to lose power because the media had figured out and the politicians had figured out to, how to gain their vote. If you uh-huh. said, well, I want welfare, and the Christians would go, eh, and I want to have bigger government, and the Christians would go, eh, and then they would say, and I'm anti-gay and anti-abortion, they'd say, you got our votes. And so they would do everything else they wanted. But those are the two things that you had to be uh, against, and then they would get you to vote for them. Mm-hmm. And we became, literally the media began to use the term in the late 80s, early 90s, the Christian voting block. Mm-hmm. And so they know if you were yeah. either anti-gay rights or anti, and I guess right now we would say anti-LBGTQ plus rights or anti-abortion, then you would, uh, you would get their vote. And it was the complete opposite of what we see right now. I heard a woman who was working with Planned Parenthood where she was being asked questions about late-term abortion or something like that. And she goes, yeah. and her response was this, I believe no woman should be forced to keep a, a, a pregnancy if she doesn't want to. And that was her answer for everything. She goes, and, and the, the congressman says, ma'am, you're not answering any questions. And her answer was, I believe every woman has the right not to be pregnant anytime she wants to. And it was just like, that was the response that the Christians had. They had like this knee-jerk reaction. Oh, yeah. We don't think that abortion, you're a murderer or you're, yes. you know, an abomination or whatever. And it's like, you wonder why the LBTDQ community is so gun-shy towards the church. Because publicly, they were told an abomination shameful. for 20 There's years. There's so much shame around it. Oh my gosh, yeah. when the AIDS yeah. epidemic happened? Yeah. Oh my gosh, like, that was like, you, yeah. you curse people to hell. In fact, I, th- this is such a horrible thing. I remember fundamentalists saying on television, this is God's punishment against the gay people. And it was just like, oh, oh no, my this gosh. this is the punishment that you're deciding that they should get. Yes, like yes, there was, there was rejoicing in some churches yeah. because of that. And it just, boy, that breaks my heart. Yeah, when you put yourself in the judgment seat. Yeah, and I know some of our listeners might say, why is that a heartbreak to you? Because I know people who are part of the LBGTQ community, and they're confused, and they're frustrated. I talked to one young lady today who's struggling with her sexuality, and I said, I'm sorry that we have been so tough on you, because the church should be the one to have grace to walk you through this confusing time and love you regardless of what your conclusions are. And she looked at me like, who are you, and why are you a Christian? And remember, the temptation is not sin. Mm-hmm. Entertaining the temptation is right. where sin comes right. in. Right. And 
you know, is it, do our high schoolers and junior hires feel like they can come talk to us and say, I'm struggling with this attraction. I don't know how to yeah. deal with it. Straight and up, I don't think I don't think so because we never talk about it. Oh gosh, we never talk about it. I think that's one of the difficult things, and that's something I, I, I want to work through with, um, just the ministry that I'm a part of with with junior highs. Like, there's some right. really hard topics that are so prevalent now that I wasn't dealing with when I was in junior high. Yep. But goodness, like they need us to be able to talk through those and broach, be brave enough as leaders to broach those topics. Right, and, and we have example. everything from same-sex attraction to gender dysphoria to yeah. eating disorders yeah, so to identity much. to even some of the physical things like the mm-hmm. spectrum disorders mm-hmm. where you are dealing. Yeah, it's very difficult. And young people, uh, you know, junior high, even some late grade schoolers, yeah. there's a huge amount of struggle. We just yes. use, well, yes. you know, that's a high school thing. No, no it's, it's not. not. No, it's not. No. <laughs> And there has to be a sense of, would a good father give a snake when a child asks for an egg? Would he give them a stone if they ask for bread? And I Mm -hmm. think that's, you say, that's nuanced. I can't make my theology out of that. And I'm like, no, but it's the attitude Mm -hmm. that Christ had. And when you look at who he ate meals with, you know, he didn't just eat meals with people of the Sanhedrin and the religious elite. Or even the blue collar workers, but mm-hmm. tax collectors. Those who were and rejected and exactly, yeah. exactly. It's not, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. Exactly. Yes, and if we are yeah. too arrogant in our belief about how good we are, then we don't ask for help. Yeah. I'll be honest. Well, yeah, it's you don't you don't go to a doctor if you feel fine. Nope. Even if like you feel like. <laughs> Like I, I like the doctor imagery so much because it's like like if I like if I think I can manage my shoulder, because my shoulder's always been a problem for me. Yeah. Um, if I think I can manage my shoulder, I'm not gonna go to a doctor and get it looked at and be like, ah, eh, it's fine. Yep. And sometimes right. we approach faith even that way where it's like, yeah. Oh, I have this sin. I know I have this. I don't sin. need to get it checked out eh, though. But I can manage it. Right. right. And then we never. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's the other side of it. You know, it's not just. Jesus going to those who are sick, but also there's a bit of a sick, the sick recognizing their need for the doctor. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going through writing about issues of race and ethnicity right now. And the thing that keeps on coming back to me is if we can't humble ourselves, mm-hmm. we will never make headway on this. And I think the same thing with the history of the church is We've had people with great humility who have led, and we've had wonderful people who have led with strength, but if we are unable to communicate with those who are different from us, whether it's race or struggling with sin or whatever, then we aren't the fragrance of Christ to them. We drive them away. Mm-mm. Look, if people run away because they're offended with Jesus, that's one thing. But they're offended with us when we talk about Jesus. That's a completely other thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So... We're a little bit off topic, and that's not a bad thing. We, like, this is a topic that is, I mean, we're off topic, but we're not off topic. Like, this is stuff that's really important, and it does come down to the kind of cultural, like, moment we find ourselves in. Let's just say that the moral majority fundamentalist movement within the Portland area lasted for about 15 years. And it's the effects that lasted for another 15 before there was, you could even walk down the street with the Bible and people wouldn't give you an evil glare. We still are suffering with some of the effects mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. but it's at the last stages 
Definitely. Um, where people don't just spit in your face with you with yeah. anything Christian. But no, that does affect yeah. the issue of the church yes. and the history. Um, and Portland's unique, but I know the moral majority affected every city in America. Mm-hmm. So I do want to talk a little bit about like really, really present day kind of issues. And we can't talk about where we're at now with the church without bringing up COVID. Yeah. And how mm-hmm. just the implications that that has that that has had on the state of the church um and specifically with the de-churched and um another term for that would be like church dropouts yeah um that i've been looking at a little bit yeah and even with that same idea is the idea of church shopping yeah i mean you look at today's world um there's been substantial dropout yeah like yeah. It's no longer just an age range that's going out. It's people who are leaving agreed. The yeah. physical spaces of churches. I haven't heard anything about like streaming numbers yet. Oh, I have a couple of numbers um, on that. Yeah. I was just gonna bring up rec- yeah. like recently I was hearing about this church at before COVID had a congregation of seven hundred and fifty people and they're down to now three hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh post COVID. Like wow. as soon as they open their doors again, they're down to three hundred. Yeah. Um yeah. So yeah, there's, so there's that yeah. impl- there's that result of COVID where it's like you shift all the norms and it's not going to go back to normal. Yeah, yeah, we shift all the norms, and we've talked about this on previous, yeah. even a whole previous season of just yeah. how COVID has presented us with the opportunity is a nice way to put it for other people has had to force <laughs> the yes. force the hard look at organizational and structural. Yeah, and for most people, it's forced us to look at. And define what church is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, what church means means to us, and I think especially for um, a younger generation as well. Um, like we see the way that church is being done traditionally, um, mm-hmm. or we see the traditions that we've grown up with, and we're like, I don't see, I don't see the gospel here. Like, I don't know if this is the way that it was intended to be and it's it becomes very difficult i think a lot of a lot of us in that kind of like young adult age range up to you know early 30s and even beyond that like mm-hmm. there's so much of that like church isn't what it should be kind mm-hmm. of a feeling yeah mm-hmm. and so the response to that tends to be well i need to go find a church that suits me or i need to just step away from church altogether because there's nowhere that's going to be doing it how it should be done mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah and so that's i think where you get that church shopping not that it's not that it's necessarily a bad thing like if, when you see issues in the church it's like okay i need to find somewhere that is actually doing it right you know well that was mm-hmm. during the However, yeah. late 90s that was the entire yeah. in the 80s we began late 80s we began to see the 16 to 35 year old age group disappear from the church and by the time mm-hmm. you get to the late 90s you have actually the beginning of the emerging church movement and the fundamental complaint was church is not church church mm-hmm. is not doing what the bible says it's supposed to do mm-hmm. and it was a legitimate complaint but to disappear was a little difficult on the entire church because course, there was they abandoned yeah. rather than tried to reform mm-hmm. and that's that's a difficulty by the way the emerging church movement right now there is no emerging church movement it's now just church so they dropped the emerging out of it because it became a little divisive yeah yeah but you still have the same struggle and there was no definitive answer given mm-hmm. other than having age separated churches 
and even yeah. there, and, and I did a lot of study on that, 20% of the, every congregation of the young churches were baby boomers who wanted to be in on the action. So even there, you didn't have a pure, and, and I'm grateful for it because there is wisdom in age while mm-hmm. there is energy in youth. Yes, but you also have churches um, that maybe have a really diverse age range, yep. but they don't interact with each other or they just go into their yep. their age delineated Sunday school groups and you don't you never have that There's community no crossover. between that. There's no so you're not benefiting from the wisdom or the energy. No. It's where group. you would have I think the word that Mark Hediger would use is you have parallel congregations not exactly. unified. Yeah. And that's that's a big trouble. That's that's actually um a lot of the history of the last 40 years of churches. Yeah. that has only been reinforced uh as of late, as churches trying to go back and reform, and they're going back to the old ways, and part of the old ways is we separate ages because we don't understand them, so there's no attempt. Right, or they're just in a totally different place in life, and we couldn't possibly benefit from reading the same book. Right, or reading so it the same way. You and and I have to point out for you, Kylie, as well as my niece Madison, mm-hmm. is the two of you when you graduated high school came to me. I'm teaching in a senior citizens class, and you said, I believe the words were, "Can we come with you? We want to sit under the wisdom of the of our elders." Mm-hmm. And it changed us radically as a as a group. Now, most of those senior citizens have gone on to be with the Lord. Yes. Um, yeah. And that was just a few years ago. And we, we, we were trending a pretty small group anyway. But when you guys came in, that suddenly other people decided to come in and mm-hmm. create um, a cross-generational group, which is unique right now um, in America. Yeah, totally. And, you know, the, the her, thing I heard from the senior citizens so often was, we're afraid of them, we're afraid of them. And now we're coming back around and... It's the young people who are saying, how do we talk to them? Are you yeah. afraid of them? A little. A little, yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> It's hard. And I think being in that kind of a group where you have people of all different ages and yep. therefore all different histories and backgrounds, like it takes so much patience. Yes. So much patience. Yes. Oh, absolutely. One, it takes time to learn how other people think. Yep. And also like, you know, the stuff that the a large portion of us are are in our early 20s or early adulthood are learning in college or in other in other fashions like it's it's like it feels like we're caught up on the times you know Mm -hmm. and then everybody else else is in this older way of thinking and we're like oh we need to be so patient because they need to get caught up (laughs) which is interesting you would actually use the word patient because that's not what i hear about the olders talking about the youngers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of people in your your demographic category, I would say, that do have that attitude, but most of them are just going, we see no way forward. So when yeah. I offer a way forward, it's not that there's no one doing that. It's just that we don't have many people who are willing to walk people along. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, I know that as a, when I get to be an older person, I will probably need help walking along through the new ideas and the new things that we need to walk through. And I'm I'll need not, help with that. Because... I'm not that old, but there's so many times I've come to you or Jacob or John and said, please help me. I want to learn. Yeah. And I think that's, that's got to be a key if at that yeah. age you're unwilling to learn and adapt. And there's certain things that I am not good at. Yeah. And I can't survive without you guys. But that's where then you say, okay, what'd you do before? When we explain it, you go, okay, I see the logic of that. And there's mm-hmm. an understanding mm-hmm. where there's actually continuing conversation mm-hmm. and communication yeah um i as a culture lover i love having multiple cultures 
But this is a challenge. It's hard. It's not. Nobody said it was going to be easy. No, but I can't do this without help. So I think the number one thing for me is humility and willingness to learn. I've got so many degrees, it's ridiculous, but I Mm -hmm. still want to learn. And there are so many things I didn't learn in college that you guys can help me with. I'm like, praise God, I've got friends. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been blessed, like, to have friends who are older and have seen so many things come to pass and to know that we're not facing new issues. Like, no. the stuff we're dealing with has been around, you yep. know? And it just so, has a different skin on it. Exactly. So learning what those things are and how to be on guard, like, there's a level of discernment that gets passed down, and it's so rich. And, it, like, I'm so grateful for that. So some of the, you know, the big ideas from this series, um, you know, talking about where – where the church intersects with culture, how much does the church bend with culture? How much does it stand out from culture? Um, there's definitely some lines there that we've kind of talked about, you know, interpreting the Bible and then in between different um, denominations, different practices or traditions of this religion. Um, there's just different ways of doing things and we gotta be open to that, um, but also on guard to that at the same time. Um, there's a healthy mix of both that we can have without um, without giving in to so much discord and division that our history is rife with. Um, Wouldn't it be wonderful if we can start seeing episodes where we talk about the triumphs that are happening and the joys and the unity? Yes, which there are. We just didn't we didn't touch on a whole lot of that right. today. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I hope these these few episodes on culture in the church were helpful. I hope they were encouraging, honestly, because the stuff we're facing today is hard and the church has faced hard things before. We've been through division and we can still go through those dividing issues now um, with a huge degree of hope that there's future ahead of us. Um, So I hope that is what we take away from this series. Um, and if you have questions, if you have comments or anything, please get in contact with us. We would love to talk through this topic more. It's yep. so fascinating. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Walking Between Worlds. There are several ways to stay up to date with what we're doing through this podcast. You're more than welcome to follow us on social media. We're active on Instagram. Our username is Walking Between Worlds Podcast. So you can go ahead and find us there. We also have a Facebook group that is attached to Culture Bound's Facebook page. If you visit that page, you should see the opportunity to join the Walking Between Worlds group where you can interact directly with us there. You can also join in the conversation by visiting anchor.fm slash walkingbetweenworlds. And there's an option on that page to record a minute long message, including your thoughts or questions for us here at the podcast. And you may even hear that clip on a future episode as we respond to it. So again, thank you for listening. We hope to hear from you and we will see you next week.